Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 43 with our guests, Chris and Jesse Apple. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us. Welcome to the studio. Really appreciate it. You're tuned right into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Now, I am so excited for this show for a variety of reasons. For one, we welcome not one, but we have two guests joining us together the first time we've ever done that. Also, I happen to know them IRL. In real life, are the kids still saying that these days? I have no idea. I'm a little removed from it, but IRL seems appropriate because I do know them in real life. We've crossed paths many times. My guests are husband and wife team, Chris and Jesse Apple, the creators of the Little Rockers Band and so much more as you'll see as we're gonna peel back all these layers. Now on paper, the Little Rockers Band performs rock concerts, parties, school assemblies, and community events for kids and are entertaining and educational. Now, how often can you say that at the same time? Entertaining and educational. How perfect. Now, as you know, I have an acting and film background, and I'm always, I'm always, I, I, I always adore, appreciate, admire, and respect all artistic endeavors especially when packaged in a creative, entrepreneurial way. We'll get into the various services that Little Rockers Band offers, but I've often had their opening theme song, Are You Ready for Rockin?, stuck in my head for days. How? Well, my kids would be invited to a birthday party where Little Rockers was the featured entertainment. And we've even hired them for our children's birthday parties. It's incredibly amazing and impressive what they do. And dare I say, important. It's important what the apples are doing. Let's get to the core of all this, inadvertent pun intended. Please help me welcome to the show right there. It is Chris and Jesse Apple. How's it hey, going, guys? Hello, hi, hey. Hello, hello, hi. <laughs> exactly. Hello, hey. Hello, hi. I've had that song stuck in my head. My children sing it quite often, so thank you for that. <laughs> we hear that a lot, actually. Are you ready for rocking? <laughs> Absolutely love that. So I 
I, I know I cannot do justice for what you do because there is so much to it. I know just one little aspect of what you do is the birthday parties that I've attended and been firsthand at. And I, I just love that you guys show up and you, 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 you sing these original songs and get the kids just playing the instruments. And it's just fantastic. You please tell us in your own words, what do you do? Well, the birthday parties that you have experienced are a, an organic outgrowth of the real reason for Little Rockers, which is um, group music classes for parents and children. Yeah, so they come, we've written um, a bunch of original songs and they sign up weekly for these classes uh, and they come like a class session and they get the CD and that's how you know the songs really well because you have the CD at home and um, they just come every week and it becomes a community thing. So the kids are there, they're learning the music, we're playing together, we're, they're like, oh, are you available for a birthday party? And there we are at the birthday party. So yeah, we do a lot of parties based on the classes. So when we started our business way back in 2009, um, we just wrote a few songs and it was a way for us to be able to use our talents making music uh, to earn a living. So we started these classes. We invited some families that we knew from around town in Red Bank, which is where we were based. And we started with maybe 10, 15 families. We would do these weekly music classes, sing songs with them, teach the kids how to clap, introduce them to rhythm, melody, singing songs, and really just bonding, a family bonding experience through playing music. See, it's then, so wonderful because uh, up until you said that, I, I, I was actually, both of my children who are now five, uh, my daughter Danica, as you know, is five. My son Harrison is three. Uh, besides the, uh, the string of birthday parties, and I know it's sort of like a birthday party tour every weekend. We're invited it to, is. Yeah, we're invited to another birthday party and it's like, oh cool, Little Rockers is here, awesome. <laughs> so that happens for a while. But until you said it, I actually forgot that we did attend those yes. mommy and me classes, for lack of a better word where occasionally I would go, hey, you want to bring Danica? And yeah, we'd, uh, we'd show up and she was one and two years old sitting on my lap in the room and just holding the shakers and mm -hmm. fantastic. So exactly right. admittedly, growing up, I, I was not exposed to music at all. I just didn't even know what I was missing until I became an adult. And I'm like, oh man, music is important. I yeah. get it. And now I, I indulge, I, I embrace, I love all kinds, all kinds of music. I see the value. Why, why do you think music is so important to us? Wow, God, as a culture, and I mean, and just seeing it with the kids that come weekly and the classes, it is the social, it, it brings, especially for young children, it's for, and the classes, it's all about social skills, I think. I mean, it's teaching you w ways to um, engage with other people, to collaborate with other people, to bond and have something in common. Music is always like a common factor. Um, even if you don't even like the same music, if you are a music lover, you can appreciate live performance. It does bring people together. Definitely. In a historical sense, um, music is the the most primal, basic way that we communicate our feelings and our inner thoughts with the rest of our culture and our society. So going back thousands of years, you know, people played drums or they used their voices to 
create melodies and harmonies. And, and in this way, we would tell stories to one another. Really, music is about telling stories about ourselves and about our culture. And in the modern world, um, this is how we, we entertain ourselves and we think about our experience in the world by listening to music and the stories that they create. Right, and the emotions it can bring us, for sure. Mm. So now, you guys, like I said, you are husband and wife team here. Um, my wife and I can't agree on dinner. <laughs> she, wants, she wants Italian, I want Chinese, and the children want a hamburger, and they win. So how, do, how in the world do, how do you, how do you make it work? And certainly you're making it work. Yeah, that wasn't always so. No, and it isn't <laughs> always so. I don't think like it is a constant challenge and it's a constant test on us and how much we care about each other because we never just give up. We never just say, okay, you made me so mad or this situation has made me so mad. I'm just done. I, I don't think we'll ever get to that point. And I think we're just so um, inspired by each other and driven by each other that we constantly want to show the other person that we're in it and that we believe in each other. That's true. <laughs> but we do fight a lot, like a lot, a lot. It doesn't come easy. And I think it, because it's been so long, we've learned to not battle about things that aren't as important and maybe not always feel like we have to be right or you have your opinion wins. You know, you have to be willing to compromise and that sometimes is harder when you have to also live in the house with the person, you know, you don't just get to go home after your day of work and having an argument and then coming back. You're like, it's always there, you know, for sure. But then it gets worked out. So that's kind of the beauty of it. It's never left unsettled. Right. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a challenge, but it's worth it. Yeah, and I understand the uh, artistic lifestyle. Like I said, I spent 15 years in New York pursuing an acting and filmmaking career. I get that grind. It's, it's atrocious. And I was always reminded, as the saying goes, that it's show business. Yes, as much exactly. as we want to, yeah, as much as we want to just, you know, uh, express ourselves creatively, mm -hmm. it's not always a successful outlet unless you're connecting those dots in the business side of it. How have you guys managed to connect those dots? What was it like struggling or succeeding and getting to the point where you are fundamentally, you're each extraordinary artists looking for the expression. How, how did you get it all to this extraordinary business? Uh, that, that was not something ever that was planned. And that, that is, you bring up such an interesting point because I say that all the time because I went to art school and studied and everything. And they never teach you like a business aspect of being a creative person. You know, you're, you're kind of just like, oh, I'm just going to audition or oh, I'm just going to do this thing. But no one says, oh, you should take it seriously as a business. You should, you know, market yourself. Think of it as put a business plan together, put, you know, make it, make it real for yourself. Not just like this thing, like I'm going to go out and just someone's going to love me and want me. Um, and I think for us, we never really had a plan just that it continued to grow on its own. And so through that, we started doing more homework and doing more research. Oh, how do we get an LLC? Okay, let's just figure it out. How do we, let's, we're supposed to do a business plan. Let's put a business plan together. We're supposed to like, we just would go on the internet and see what are we supposed to do? Let's try to, I'm very much about trying to do things the right way. Um, so I think that put some forms in the place. Sure. Those ideas and those concepts were anathema to me. 
because when I grew up, I was a punk rocker. I was a rock and roller. I wanted to be just a music star. You know, I wanted to be a rock star. Business, you know, nobody cares about business. Nobody cares about money. It's not about the money, man. <laughs> it's about the art. You know, so that was pretty much yeah, my, where does that get you? <laughs> my teens, my 20s, my 30s was just slogging it out, writing songs and living the dream and struggling. I'm a struggling artist. There's there's so much honor and joy in, in not being able to feed yourself and pay your bills. And then you meet a person who changes your entire worldview and gives you a purpose. And then you realize that you're selling yourself and the world short by not doing everything you can to become a success at what you do. Wow. And was that person you're talking about, uh, the lady? Just so happens to be this person <laughs> right me. here. So what <laughs> happened? You met her. What is that thought you were just, you were just leaning towards? What we've created her? has come so organically in that when we met and we fell in love, um, one of the things that we bonded over was number one, that our love for performing, um, for making music, for singing, for entertaining, for making people happy. You know, at, at its core, being a performer is trying to entertain and please other people. And the way that we met was the job that we did teaching music classes for another preschool music company. We were coworkers, and in our conversations, in our early dates, dinners, lunches, we would talk about how we really enjoyed our job. We were inspired by the kids every day. I, I have to really say, I'm going to just chew your own. I think Chris and I are both very gifted with that. I don't think a lot of people, I don't know, there's something about bonding with children and being able to get a group of children to like really focus on you. And I think Chris and I, it's unique that we found each other because we both have that gift. So I think that I didn't know it was a gift. And actually there was a period in my life where I didn't even like kids. I thought, <laughs> right? imagine, you know, all going back to the, you know, being a tough, you know, a rock right. solid, you, you know, like punk rocker, you know, we don't like kids, <laughs> <laughs> but at some point you got to pay the bills. And somebody said, Oh, there's this, there's this company that's looking for people to sing songs for kids. Why don't you go give that a try? You know, maybe that was a person in an old relationship where I wasn't pulling my weight. <laughs> they were just trying to get me to make some money. So I got a job and I realized that I actually I have a talent for entertaining kids. I actually really do like kids because I'm pretty childish myself, you know, at that point. You know what, though? And we say this all the time. Kids are such a great audience because like when you perform like Chris has done, I do a lot of bars or when you, I do a lot of theater work, like you lose adults very easily. You know, they're jaded, they're drunk, they don't pay attention or whatever. They're not situation. really appreciating what you're bringing. If you're just singing songs to drunk people And you in have bar. to feel cool. Like you can't be like, you can't, if you're singing in a band, you have to be like, not show your emotion or whatever. But with kids, you could just be your free loving, generous self, you know, and they, the more you give, the more they get and the more they give back to you. So it, it's just such a freeing experience. I think in the beginning, it was hard for you to let go that you're not cool. You know, you're doing kids look, music. I don't want to look silly. I'm going to embarrass myself. You know, like, oh, you know, or me, I'm not being taken serious as an actress because I'm doing like, but then I realized it's utilizing all of these skills that we worked on all this time to be the best versions of ourselves as performers for, for an audience that absolutely appreciates it and the adults appreciate it because their kids are appreciating you, it. Look, Josh, so like there's nothing better than that. You know, as an actor that they always say that you're never going to be a good actor unless you're completely honest. 
You know, your right, performances totally. have to take something from within you that is honest. It's saying something real. And the same thing goes for music. Kids have a BS meter that is best. <laughs> yes. right? You cannot fool a kid because they know if you're lying, they know if you're not being real, they know if you're not being authentic. So and they're not going to hide their their disdain or their yeah, or whatever. They're going to walk or away or they're going to lay on the ground or they're going to whatever. You have to keep them engaged. And if you don't, you lose. So that that's a terrific thing for a musician and an actor to learn to be your authentic self. And then everything flourishes from there. But back to us meeting, um, when we both met and we were doing these jobs, we would we would bond over how much we enjoyed playing music for kids, how much we enjoyed this day job. You know, we would do classes in the morning for kids, make a paycheck, be able to pay the bills, and then go play a concert at night in a bar, or do an off-Broadway show, or be in a play. That wasn't really making money, but that's where our passion lied. So in these conversations we would have, oh, wouldn't it be great, you know, if we did these types of music classes for kids, but we created our own music and our own curriculum and made our own thing. And then and we, we got to do it together. We could work together because we we're in love and the glow of love. And <laughs> But not just that, but because like we were teaching solo and if you talk with someone else, it becomes more of a show because you have someone to like play off of. You have someone to do call and response with. If the parents are tired and they're not singing along or doing whatever, you always have like a buddy with you, like making it a play, making it a performance. And that's where I think our classes are a little different, not just because there's two teachers, but because Chris and I are performers and we formulated the, the process of how it's done. So all of our teachers do it the way we do it. And it's a show. It's not just like, oh, you're coming to a music class and you're just going to sit there and sing along. So this, yeah, like very, again, organically, it happened where we enjoyed singing together. Like we, in, in the beginning of our relationship, I would get out my acoustic guitar and we would sing and we would harmonize songs, sing Fleetwood Mac song, sing Beatles songs, whatever. We would just mm -hmm. sing together because that brought us joy. And then from there, we, we wrote hello hey hello hi you know and um we created that song and from there we just kept writing and writing and writing so something about um you know being in a relationship is a creative process and if you're an artist you use you use those feelings and those things to to bring to your art so we would write these songs we would challenge each other oh why don't we write a song about you know riding a bike oh okay how can we do it and then we would just jam and brainstorm and write a whole collection of songs. And before you knew it, we had an album, a CD's worth of songs. And then we had two and we had three and four, five, six. And as the years go by, we now have a catalog of music that we've created. Yeah, and yeah. then the parents get different music and mixes it up a bit. So in these classes, we would then say, we're gonna do these classes where we're teaching music and parents say, what on earth could you really teach an infant? You know, can you Well, teach? this is a funny story because we, when we first started out, because I like to do things the right way, we went to the Brook, we went to Brookdale and we went to the Small Business Association and there's like a, they'll spend like, they'll do like free time with you and sit down Get a business and mentor. Like explain to you what to do. And it's like an older man who's like retired or whatever. And he was like a grandpa, but he was like, what? Wait, what do you want to do? We're like, well, we want to do what? these music classes. And he's like, well, how old are the kids? And we're like, well, they're like a year old. And he was like, well, <laughs> what is a one-year-old going to do in a music class? And who's going to pay money for that? Yeah, he was so, we laugh about that all the time because we're like, that guy had no idea. He said, this is a terrible business plan. <laughs> I, listen, I as it. your mentor, I urge you to find another field. <laughs> well, no, he didn't say that, but it was just he kind of like, well he yeah. was just more like, I don't know. He you didn't know, understand maybe you could it. Do he didn't get it. Like, 
he was trying to expand what we were doing. So there's so much value in that for all people listening, all business owners, because we could all relate to that, that whether it's a a similar situation or something like that, you, you've been told that your idea isn't going to work when you have the vision, when you trust it. And you guys left that saying, um, we, we still got this. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, And you know what, having each other, you instantly have a support system. That's like, that guy knows nothing. If you know? one of us had been, if it was, if I had just gone there, I probably would have left a little dejected. Yeah, he's probably right. You know, this isn't a you good idea. You might doubt yourself a little more, but then it's still a lesson of like, okay, well, be your own cheerleader too, because you know, you know, if you know in your heart you have to try something, just do it. Because just because what, that person doesn't understand what I want to do doesn't mean that it doesn't have value or worth. Were you treading new ground at that point? You know, there were some other, a few, no, there weren't a lot. There were a few other well-known music classes, not that many. There are a a lot now. They've proliferated proliferated a lot in the last 10 years. But at that point, there was literally a, a, a handful or less of music programs that people knew about. And they all had a certain model. It was one teacher. They would sing these nursery rhymes or they would use folk music, you know, American like folk songs. Like open domain, the um, public, yeah, public domain. domain songs that they could just sing. So, you know, the people have been, you know, there was the Raffies of the world who were singing Baby Beluga back in the 80s and the 90s. But, but I like to say that I feel like we are the first to, we license the music legally, but we do use like classic rock songs so we'll put out an album for the parents and we'll use all like 90 percent of it will be original songs and then we'll put on like two songs that the parents know like brown eyed girl or three three little birds by bob marley that we can license very low cost put it on the album and then people are familiar with the music they're like oh this is fun so i think we were the first people i don't know if other people are doing that but we were i feel like the first in our area to do that so i think that was always fun to see people's reactions. Like, oh wait, like this is the song we're doing in class. Like, brown eyed girl. I feel like I'm on vacation. Right. Again, like from from trial and error at the beginning of our relationship, we would say these music classes are really fun. But a lot of times, you you know, you find the parents kind of tuning out. You know, if you're singing the same Pop nursery goes rhyme, the weasel, Pop goes like, weasel, the parents me. are kind of like, you know. <laughs> I've heard these songs a million times, you know, they're not, this is for the babies. This isn't for me. So we, we, at one point early on, we said, you know, we enjoy singing these songs, but the parents are tuning out. How can we get the parents? Like Mm. if we sing a song in class that the parents know, Brown Eyed Girl, you start singing Brown Eyed Girl and every mom immediately, like, and suddenly it's not a song for babies anymore. It's a song that the moms remember from their high, their college days or their clubbing days, but it doesn't matter because now the, the babies look and they see their mom smiling, right. having fun, shaking the eggs, singing, and now the child feels empowered to also have a, a good time singing and dancing along with the mom, and now you're really making a connection in the class. Right, and bringing it back to what you asked before, like how does music, like why is music important to us as a culture, like that's exactly the reason why. You know, you're bringing bonding experiences, you're bringing memories, you're bringing all this like good feeling, good energy from like, and the entire group is feeling it. So, and so now you're not, you're not only, you're not just teaching music whereby, you know, this is an eighth note, this is a quarter note, this is a rhythm. What you're teaching is how to connect with another human being and music is the way that we connect. So, you know, there's nothing better than seeing you 
with your child on your lap and you're smiling like and you're singing and us. you're rocking and you know the dads come to class you probably did too if i think back very nervous what's going to happen <laughs> are they going to make me sing am i going to embarrass myself i'm going to be silly what's going to happen and then you sit down and we greet you and we talk to you and we smile and we ask you questions and we try to connect with you and then as soon as we start singing that song and you know it and you sing along you realize that this isn't this isn't us versus them. This is a we're all together in this. And we're going to have fun in this 45 minutes singing and playing with our kids because that's what life is all about. Totally. You know what I love you said in a um, earlier segment here? You were, you were talking about, Chris, how you were on your path to become a superstar performer rocker. <laughs> yes. and, then, and then your journey sort of changed. What I'm hearing, and I know that many of us in or out of the artistic industry, we are just gripped by ego. I can imagine that you were on this path and you didn't want to let that go. You were like, no, I'm going to be this performer. And then you start seeing uh, glimmers of a new path, like you both alluded to that. Mm, how is this going to look? What are people going to say? We're doing children's stuff. What was that like to really try to let go of that, that dream in a sense? Well, it was definitely hard for, for a little while in the beginning until things started to make sense. But at some point, at some point, the evidence was that when I was in a band, um, I'm basically a side person with another group of people. Maybe there's a, a singer that's like writing the songs and he's the person that is getting most of the accolades and the rest of the band is there to sing his songs. And, you know, there's something comforting about being a side person that doesn't have to have the responsibility. I can lay back, I can play my bass, I can sing a little bit, but I'm not really responsible for anything. And there was always, a, there was always something inside of me that wanted to be the center of attention, but maybe didn't, didn't trust my, my talents or my instincts enough, so I would just be a side person. When we started singing together and writing our own songs, suddenly it became about Jesse and my story, our songs, our voice, and the songs, you know, we created them ourselves, and our success was down to our own effort and not someone else's efforts. That's exactly how I feel too. Mm. We created our own thing, whereas when you're in a band, it's more of a democracy. You know, you can contribute, you can bring a song in, but basically if the rest of the four or five or six other guys don't like what you have to say or don't like your song, it'll get vetoed, and then you just have to kind of toe the party line. When you're doing it for yourself and with the person next to you, um, even though there is like some give and take with that, we can do exactly what we want to do. The songs that we want to sing, um, the, the lyrics I say that and the music. too a lot, especially being an actor, which you can relate to. You're constantly like auditioning, waiting for someone else's approval. Do you look right? Do you sound right? And it, it's, it's a grind. It's kind of a game, so it can be fun at times, but it's, it starts to wear on you and you're like, where is this going? So with this, it's like, if I make them happy, I'm they're, they're my audience. They're the directors. The, the kids are the producers, you know? If they're signing up for my classes, that's a success. If they're watching our videos and we have like thousands of views of our videos, isn't that just as successful as, you know, some director approving whether I'm right for a part or not? Like that starts to wear on you for a while, after a while. And being a musician and a songwriter, I've always thought, you know, 
I, I have reverence and respect for actors, a person that can go out there and embody a part, but I've always sort of thought, you're always saying somebody else's words. Somebody else is putting their words in your mouth. You're telling somebody else's story. And there's, there's validity to that. But as a person that grew up thinking about Lennon and McCartney and Bob Marley and you know, all the people that cr created their own stories, I always, wanted to, I always wanted my songs to be what I was singing in my point of view, not someone else's. Let's go back for each of you separately and individually as young children. Um, first, first, if you each could, how was uh, the environment? What was growing up as a young child like for each of you? Well, I think I was really lucky. I mean, I grew up, my parents were divorced, blah, blah, blah. But I think I, my dad was a drummer and my mom was a, is a singer and songwriter and my aunt's an artist and my grandma was a photographer so i grew up in a really accepting supportive family for the arts it wasn't like you can't do that they were just like you're gonna you're amazing you're gonna be everything you're gonna do something great so um i think i watched my mom struggle a lot um as a singer songwriter in many bands struggling as an artist not feeling worthy enough you know so my path was always i want to do theater I want people to sit in a seat and watch me. I don't want them to be at a bar where, she, you know, how she would sing and get her audience, which was great. She did, she was amazing and she is amazing, but I wanted people to take me more seriously. Um, and I just have always been performing since I was 10. I did some commercials. I've done live theater pretty much my whole life. I went to performing arts high school. So it was like something I always knew I wanted to do. I never wavered from it. It was never like, oh, maybe I'll go do something else. No, I've always wanted to be an actress, always wanted to do music theater. Broadway was like always my thing. Had maps to New York City from like 10th grade, sitting in my <laughs> room, staring at where I was going to go. Um, and that was just like all I wanted to do, practice songs, 100, like in my room, did professional theater since I was like 14. So I think I just, you know, but I always was very accepted. Like I didn't have the struggle of like, oh, you're not good enough or, oh, you're not gonna make it. And I had my grandma who always took me to all my lessons and Ooh. I just had a really great support system. And so it you was were a struggle. So you were visualizing, uh, already visualizing with the maps on the wall and seeing yeah. your future, that's amazing. And you eventually got to those stages. Yeah, I did because then, um, well, I went, I always felt like I needed to go to college because no one in my family had gone to college. Mm. So to me, that was like a really important step. Plus, I feel like education is really important. I know a lot of people think in the arts, you don't need an education. I, mean, I feel like you do. I feel like you need some, even if you don't get a degree, you need to go take classes in something that you're interested in. If it's photography, like you need to learn more about it. So for me, I went to school. Um, I went to an arts conservatory. Um, and then I did regional theater and then I had family in New Jersey and moved from Florida to New Jersey and just started working and auditioning and gotten off Broadway and just never left. <laughs> I just, I, I was really lucky that I just kept working. You know, I, I think for me singing helped a lot because a lot of actors don't sing. So for me, I was able to use singing as a way to get in shows and just have more opportunity. So I was always working um, and I just always took it really seriously. I love that you brought up education because I think um, by default, when, when you said it and when people hear it, they think that we're talking about a formal 
education yeah. in a school or collegiate environment, which it's so not true. And like you said, education is absolutely vital and required because like I said earlier, it's show business. So skill, talent, desire, passion, ability is one thing necessary. Absolutely. But you must know the ins and outs. Something yeah. I always experienced, um, the the niche of my career was in comedy. I was part of a comedy team for many years and inadvertently somebody would come up to us after a show and say, Hey, I'm funny. Can I be in your show or <laughs> right? Hey, uh, um, um, I'm funny. Can I do stand up? And again, they, they just don't realize that sure you can, if you have the skill, talent, ability, desire, passion on one side, but then you better believe you need the education. You need to know the ins and outs of the industry, of the business. You need to know how to write a joke, how to craft a joke. You need to know timing. You need to know how to speak the language of the industry. You need to know how to talk to people, how to make connections, how to sell yourself. You need to know all this stuff. Absolutely. I mean, and you can read books, but I think to take a class to be able to polish up those skills, especially in a class where you're going all the time, the repetition, you're learning and you're just going to, it's going to be in your muscles. I mean, for me, I went, I had a, my educational story is completely crazy because I went to Florida state um, and I had like a traditional education and I auditioned for many years to get into the BFA program there, which was like a BFA music theater program. I tried for two years. I didn't get in. That was one of my horrible rejection stories because I felt like really got really discouraged and I left school, which is not anything that was like me. So after three and a half years, I left took a year off and then went back to a school where I went for three years for conservatory education because I felt like I needed to learn. I didn't learn anything in university as far as, did I feel ready to go to New York and conquer it? No, I didn't know anything. I didn't know, I didn't, I wasn't polished as a dancer. I wasn't polished as a singer. And so I felt like a conservatory education for me was something where it wasn't just about getting a degree. Like if you go to a university, in a way, especially if it's a large one, I feel like you're just a number in the arts. Like they're not really focusing on your skill, what 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 your type is as an artist, what you're, how you're going to work as an artist, what you need to focus on. And in a conservatory where there's only 15 people in your graduating class, you're getting like individual art attention. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like that really made me a better artist, and I was ready to go and do it where I wasn't before. But was there? Was there ever a time where you were looking to fall back on something completely different or pursued something completely different? No. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. That is, I don't know. That is something that we both have. My story is completely different from <laughs> hers. Go from the, the beginning, that, Chris, as a child. We'll get there. But the one thing that we do, the one thing that we do have between us is that there was never a plan B. There was never something that we were going to fall back Can on. Can I just real quick say, it was funny because Chris was feeling a little doubt. Doubt, You know, we go through our doubts, right? We're not perfect. And um, we're big, big cheerleaders. But the other day, we were having some, like, what are we doing with our life moments? You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, Chris was going through it a little bit. And I was like, look, we, we've already succeeded well beyond what we thought we would because we didn't have a plan. Like what I was like, what was your plan? You were just going to be this big rock star. My big plan was I was going to be on Broadway. Like, but what, what, like how, and then it's done, you know, like you, you didn't have a backup plan. Like with, with that being your plan, it's not like you were like, I have, I'm going to have a retirement. I'm going to have a savings. I'm going to have, when I'm old, I'm going to have a, a legacy. Like you really didn't have that plan. So 
with this, it's like, it's a real plan. It's it not just definitely. like, I'm just an artist that's going to be everything, you know? That's not a good life plan. It's not, and it's, <laughs> but it's a blessing and a curse in a way because, um, you know, on the one hand, I've known ever, like my very first memory that I can conjure up from being an infant is listening to Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd, <laughs> in front of my dad's gigantic, you know, stereo speaker. I've known ever since my earliest memories that I was going to somehow be involved in creating music like i just i wanted to be whatever was inside that speaker the sound that was coming out like as a as an infant if this is possible to comprehend but whatever was coming out of that speaker i wanted to that to be what my life was going to be about and of course i didn't know for many 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 years what that meant but i just knew that those sounds resonated within my soul and that's what i wanted to do that's what i wanted my life to be about so the entire arc of my life has been listening to music, listening to lyrics, learning melodies, um, finally begging my mom for years and years to get a bass. She was like, what the heck is a bass? You know, she had no idea what that was. <laughs> a guitar, but, mom, a guitar. Yeah, it's a guitar with four strings that sounds like this. Boom, 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 boom. Right. You know, like somehow that, that jumped out to me. But so there's been no plan B. My entire life has always been, it's going to be music. I didn't know as a as a tween or a teen or even in my 20s that there was something other than famous rock star you know, <laughs> yes, so right. either that or yeah. death yeah right much. point a I to point b there. there's only one one accomplishment famous rock star well, my, Go ahead. my whole my whole life was if you look at the back of the album kiss alive it's a shot of them at madison square garden and there's it's a shot from the stage and it's the entire audience at madison square garden so there's thirty thousand people there and they're all holding up kiss banners and they're all screaming and yelling. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's where I want to be on that stage at Madison square garden. But you have no idea how the heck you're ever going to get there. So you, you know, you listen to songs in the car with your mom and you're singing Kenny Rogers and Donna Summers and eventually getting a guitar and learning how to plunk out some kind of a sound. And, but then you had some pretty good successes because, like Chris started a high school band and then this is a really cool story, which I'll let him tell, but um, his high school band ended up on TV. Like Chris is like a kid star. All right. So I didn't <laughs> go to college, but my education was that I was on a Nickelodeon TV program for um, most of my high school years. Yeah. They didn't go to school. They took the train into the city. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. And they got <laughs> to like, they were tutored on set and, it was a show called Don't Just 14 Sit There. years old, 15 years old, um, you know, wanting to start a rock band, meeting other like-minded kids in high school. Um, we got together. We learned how to play some popular songs of the day. Billy Idol, The Cure. All right, I'm dating myself. It was the 80s. What are you going to do? <laughs> so we played at He's our, older than me, by the way. Playing at our local uh, community center and through a serendipitous um, course of events, we get an audition for Nickelodeon producer who's putting together a new show. And then we get cast and hired to become the house band on a show called Don't Just Sit There that premiered in 1989. So this is a full-time paying gig? So I was uh, <laughs> almost a junior in high, at the end of my sophomore year and summer. And then for junior year and senior year, I didn't have to go to high school because I took the train in every day to New York City with the rest of the band at 6 a.m. The 618 out of Little Silver. Uh, to Manhattan with all of the so sad looking commuters <laughs> going to their jobs, you know, 
and uh, <laughs> <laughs> looking, you know, looking angry and forlorn with life. And we were just these, you know, excited, passionate, like teenage boys going to the big city to, you know, be on TV. And that's it's what we amazing. did. That's an amazing. It was story. pretty cool. So it was a full time job. We had to go to New York City and um, we had to learn lines. So actually, we did go to school. We got tutored on set for two hours a morning. And then we spent the rest of the day in the studio writing songs, learning songs, and performing songs on the TV show. So did you, I mean, that's so awesome, first of all. I can imagine at that age when, you know, uh, juxtaposition, I was in my bedroom with a face full of acne, just to paint that picture. That was me at your age. Who's been there? Who's been there? Yeah, been there. Right, that was me. Luckily, we had a we had a makeup artist that could, could help those things. Yeah, they had that too. Hair and makeup every morning. You know, I just had doctor's appointments trying to uh, you know give me medication externally, topically, pills, oh, all of it to reduce that acne. But you know what? They couldn't re re reduce the shame and embarrassment. They couldn't reduce that at all. So, so you're a lifelong struggle. Yeah, thankfully. I'm over it now. Just you know, thirty plus years later, I'm finally over it. Um, so Between I, you and I, you have beautiful skin. <laughs> Lovely. It's the makeup. <laughs> so you were on this train. I love that visual. That you guys are just these bubbly um, teenage boys. Uh, no concern there. It was legit. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think about you. They hated us. I mean, literally, they hated no, but us. You know, people just yeah, wanted. No, but your parents just let you take the train. Like, yeah, you're safe. Well, like, look, that's this, where I feel weird. There were some issues there, but um, <laughs> but we don't talk about it. I will say, I will tell you this: that I, again, I'm an iconoclastic person. I guess you could say, like, I was always the bad kid in that group. The rest of the three other guys actually went to um, Christian Brothers Academy, which is a, a very, you know very serious private school here in central Jersey and their parents were very serious. And actually there was a, there was a moment there where they were not going to be allowed to do the show because the parents thought that they were going to be losing out on their education. And then they had to kind of get, uh, the producers had to convince them that they would still be getting tutored and they would be able to continue with their studies. And there was a lot of that. Whereas my parents are like, ah, go right ahead, <laughs> whatever you want. You know, as long as you're not getting into trouble, then, and you're, and you're actually getting paid to do what you're doing. That's fantastic. It's really cool that at that age you're on television. I mean, Nickelodeon was the bomb back in that day. It was the early days. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it Nickelodeon. Free, uh, Ariana Grande and <laughs> Justin Timberlake and whomever else. Yeah. Yeah. It was like and, an interview show for kids though. So it was like sketch comedy too, right? And then they would interview. So they got, they had to, we met like Debbie Gibson. Oh, sure. There was, oh. I mean, it was, a, it was actually a really great setup. It was kind of, I used to describe it as a cross between Saturday Night Live and David Letterman. So basically it was, a, you know, it was a sketch comedy show where there would be sketches about the dog eating your homework or, you know, what to do on the, the family vacation and different things like that. And then there would be celebrity guests that the hosts would, would interview. And then we were the house band on the side. So we would play the theme song of the show when a celebrity guest like Robert Anglin, the famous Freddy Krueger yes. was a guest, you know, we would have to play the music to bring him <laughs> on as the interview. And so then, uh, at this point, did you think like, oh my God, how wonderful. This is my route 
to Madison Square Garden. The, I, I, my life is exactly going to go how I wanted it. No, I had no idea. In fact, I, was, I thought to myself, my life has gone horribly wrong because I'm supposed to be in a punk rock band and I have to be on a television show sing, singing, to, singing to children. Like they're going to make us dress up like clowns and this is going to be horrible. I had nothing but disdain for the idea of doing this. I had no idea as a 14 or 15 year old kid that this is one step in what could be you know, a lifelong career. I actually hated it at first. <laughs> until I loved it. <laughs> Go ahead, tell me more. <laughs> you know, I, when I, I thought that it was gonna be this, this thing where they were gonna force us to be these like plastic little cartoon characters for kids, but actually they were quite, um, they were quite open with us being who we were. They wanted, you know, a cool young group of guys. We were a rock band. We got to dress however we wanted to dress. Um, we got to play what you know the music that we wanted to play. They would recommend some things, but basically we had to write all of our own music for the show. So imagine that we're all teenagers, not too much training. I didn't never even took a lesson on the bass. <laughs> the other guys, you know, classically trained guitar player, a classically trained piano player, and um, a drummer who had taken drum lessons, and me learning how to go boom, 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 <laughs> and like eke out you know my place in a band. But you sang but I was the singer and so they, they would write songs for us and we would have to learn them and we would sing them as part of the sketches for the show. So pretty soon I did become like the, the leader of the band and because I have such an outsized personality, I would like, you know, I would bring the songs to the band and you know, we would just, we would make it happen. And week to week they would say, all right, this week we're gonna film five episodes. We need 10 songs to fit within these episodes. Go to your rehearsal space and don't come out until you have 10 numbers. The equivalent, have, of, the equivalent of go to your room, young man. But go yeah, to but your but rehearsal space. But when education you come as out, a songwriter, like, uh, Chris, I mean, I, I was never taught to be like this creative person because I'm an actor. So I'm very much taught and a singer taught to like, here's the lines, you learn them and you do that. Like what you were saying earlier, like that doesn't appeal to you, but that was only what I knew. So for you, like what a lesson in creativity at such a young age, like their school, you go into a room, you guys just collaborate. You're learning how to work with other people, how to put out ideas that you have to take, um, take opinions and be able to give opinions and be able to take criticism and be able to like collaborate at 14. You make That's it sound cool. so profound, but at the it time is. it was terrifying. <laughs> it was literally it, terrifying. But now you're getting that pressure. Like that is scary because most adults get that pressure. Like when you're at a finance job or whatever, like high pressure job, you're getting it like 14. Like you're like how the Saturday Night Live writers always talk about them, like having to go in all week and write sketches and then go to Lauren Michaels and it's all this pressure. <laughs> And it's like you at like 14 having to do that. That's quite, that's why you're such a strong songwriter because it just comes, you've had to do it for so long. Yeah, one of the great um, times of that I can remember from that show, we shot 150 episodes of that show, which was fantastic. That is but um, one of my great highlights was the fact that um, we got word that our celebrity guest of that week is going to be Davy Jones from the Monkees. And he was going to sing a song with the band. So we had to learn the song and back him up. Wow. So that was part of our, our practice that week was learning the song in the right key. And then him coming in and us having to back him up with no rehearsal whatsoever. So mm. that, was, that was fantastic. That was yeah. a highlight for me because the Monkees were my first favorite band. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. For you. It's amazing. So then at some point, you guys are now in, in the next phase, like uh, right post 
high school. And um, I know uh, uh, Jesse was um, alluding to some of that journey. Chris, for you, what did you do post high school? Where were you in life? You know, after the show ended, we, um, we went to college. Um, I went to school at a small liberal arts college in Vermont and basically just followed my friend who was the keyboard player in the band because he found this school. Unfortunately, like I, I really <laughs> did not like school. I was not a good student. I wanted to be anywhere except school. I wanted to just play my guitar and sing and that's, that's, that was it. But this is, I, when I first met Chris, this is something that I always, because I'm someone who believes in school a lot, you, I always, it boggled my mind. I was like, well, why didn't you study music when you went to college? What were you studying? You weren't even studying music. I studied TV because I thought that that's, that's what I had to do. I used, I was on a TV show. So if I go to college, I should study TV. But if you would have studied music, you might've been more interested in it. Cause you're like, wow, this is stuff I want to know. Like I, when you go to high school, like for me, I went to performing arts high school. So I got to learn stuff I wanted to learn, but like for regular high school, that probably sucks. Because it wasn't an option for me. It wasn't but, an option for me to study music because I didn't know how to read music. Music. So I was always I was afraid that but I, I always said you're gonna I learn. wouldn't be able to get into school to learn music because I didn't know music. Yeah, but I'm like they're gonna teach you. I just mm. it's so crazy. nobody told me that you go to school to learn things. <laughs> he thought you, you were, had to know already. Your words, you were afraid. I love that. Let's let's dissect that a little bit because that's the that's the basis of this entire thing I'm doing here. This show and the brand, the hidden entrepreneur. I spent decades afraid of everything. I just couldn't bring myself. And 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 like you're saying, Jesse, I I was never a student either. C's and D's at best. Didn't like school. Never wanted to go. And now looking back on it, I love learning. I would do anything to get back into any any high school class. I wonder if that's a thing <laughs> where you can just go back and sit and you know for a semester with with high school students. Uh, I don't know. But, but don't if, you feel like you have to kind of have gone through some journey to appreciate? Because when I exactly. left Florida State, I was not absorbing information. But when I had a year off and then I went back to school, I was really like a sponge. And everyone who was there for the first time was like partying and hanging out or whatever. And I was just there to learn. And I felt like I was able to accept the information. Whereas before I maybe wasn't able yeah. at that time in my life to, to get it, to grasp it. So sometimes you need to go through those journeys so that you can appreciate the knowledge that you're given. I, I realize that um, education is pretty much the most important thing for a human being and that I have always loved education. I just never liked school. And that was something that took a long time to learn. I didn't like the... I didn't like the rigidity of school, being told what to do, of having to sit there to read and just learn a bunch of stuff that, so like for a test didn't, well, that didn't have any relevance to my life. Um, but it wasn't until after leaving high school, going to a few different colleges and, you know, not getting anything out of that either, that I realized that, you know, I'm just going to educate myself. I'm just going to read every book. My dad is, you know, a very big reader and he always had a, a big library of books. So I would just take his books of philosophy, economics, you know, what world history, You're really, current events, and just, I just would read things because it was interesting to absorb information. And I realized, oh, I can educate myself by reading all of the things that are important. So that's, that's been a lifelong project of mine is just to just learn as much as possible, but I just couldn't do it in a school setting. 
And it's so amazing that cut to current day, you guys are extremely about education, mm -hmm. right? No accident, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. You're all about education. So I love that theme. So Chris, for you, um, prior to meeting Jesse, and we'll inch up to, to, to that time, what were you, what did you, what were you looking to do, be, or become prior to meeting her in life? I, I just didn't have, I didn't have a great trajectory and, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of fear, a lot of self doubt, a lot of just unknowing what, what it was that I was working towards. I knew, you know, music was what it was about, but I wasn't successful yet at music. After the show ended, I had to kind of go and do other things. I worked on different TV shows. I went to a little bit of college. I worked uh, you know, at a coffee bar. I did all these various jobs, everything other than what I should have been doing, which was like I pursued music. I would join bands and put my all into being in bands and doing that. But it was always more of like a hobby than it was a job. Um, because at that point, being in a band doesn't pay any money. So you like everybody, if you're if you're pursuing a hobby, you have to find some other means to pay your bills. And at that point, I just didn't know enough or know how to go about using my talents in music, which is all I cared about, to make money. So it took a took a long, long time until almost meeting Jesse and becoming like a music teacher and teaching and performing for kids that it all started to make sense. There was a good solid like 10 or 12 years where I just kind of stumbled around in the dark trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with yeah, my but life. You were in, he was in, other than this, I'm going to toot your horn again, but other than the um, show, like he was in a band that was an indie band that did really well and toured Europe. And I mean, like, you don't really know them and their music's weird, but um, <laughs> they um, toured. And, oh, there's like, that. Yeah. They had a lot of success. And then when he, when he, after that band, he was in, they were out of record contract, like things, like I told him this the other day, if you were to write out like the accomplishments that you achieved and you handed it to me or any other artist, we'd be like, yes, I want to succeed that. I want to be on a kid's show on Nickelodeon. I want to tour Europe with the signed band. I want to be in a band that, tour like his other band, went to the Middle East to perform for the troops and open for REM and perform a bomb, like with the Whalers. Like, if you put that on paper, it's like, yes, give it to me. That's the dream for a musician. This is, this is actually a really good thing because everything that I'm saying to you is my own internal monologue about how, oh, I'm not worthy or, yes. you know, I'm hiding, right? Like Your story. the, the mm. hidden part of myself was hidden that I was hiding behind my Yay. fear and hiding behind my own self doubts and not living my true purpose, which is just being about music. And furthermore, I realized that the pursuit of being a rock star was merely a selfish pursuit. I thought, I'm going to be a rock star. People are going to love me. I'm going to have glory. I'm going to have success. And it wasn't until I realized that the, the way to ultimately be successful is to give of your, yourself, give of your talents, give without thinking of without a reward, thinking of, of like reward. oh is someone going to notice me or am i going to get a gig from this gig and blah, blah, blah. like just doing it for the pure like joy of doing it and i think when you're doing it for kids you are doing it in the moment and not necessarily thinking about the future and if it's bringing you a future whereas like you know if you do a show you're like oh tonight that like, people are coming or maybe someone will be there or da, 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 da. like who knows but when you're just doing for kids you're like this is now this is the moment and are they enjoying it and it's bringing me joy. Chris, really you, 
Chris, you brought up such an extraordinary concept that Jesse elaborated on, and it's about how when we are recapping or retelling our own history, our own story, our own credits and credentials, we see it in a very specific way. And it took Jesse to say, whoa, 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 hang on a second. And I love <laughs> how you put it where you said, if you outlined all that on paper, anybody would be quote unquote impressed or would say, yes, sign me up for that journey. That, that sounds and looks amazing. And um, I, I have a very similar uh, thing with it. And I know many of us, whether in the arts or out of the arts, what you've accomplished in your past has significance, has value, but we tend to downplay it. I have so many credits where on paper, it's like, wow, look at that. But I rarely talk about them and I certainly rarely acknowledge or appreciate them for myself. Yeah, and say, look what I did. You know, like give yourself a little credit for doing something that not everybody could do or not everybody would even dare to do is the, the real thing. Because I think people have all these dreams, ambitions, passions. And they're like, no, their inner, their, their inner voice wins where they're like, I'm not even going to try. They already have failed. They, they are, won't allow themselves to have those dreams. So the fact that you, you took the risk and you were able to accomplish those things is enough of a credit, I think. It's I hard mean, when you're, it's in your brain. Even now. though I have a lot, you know, as we're speaking here and I'm being honest, I'm talking a lot about self self-doubt and fear, but really like my persona has always been, um, you know, oh, I'm Mr. Know-it-all yeah. and I'm arrogant and I'm confident and I'm here and I'm, you know, putting myself out into the world. And as we know, a lot of times that that, that is, um, you know, it's a mask that we put on to cover our own fears and our own doubts. Right. And really when, when I met Jesse, my, my life was transformed because I realized that, you know, the persona that I thought that I had to be as this rock star was not really, I think, what the world wanted of me, which right. is why it's been such a struggle. And as soon as we met and took that mask off and we were something pure and real with one another and with our audience, that's when everything in our lives changed for the better and started flourishing. And it's just, it's wow. constantly growing and getting better and teaching us how to just be real. I yeah. get it. I get it. I've been there and I know so many of us have. You said it perfectly, Chris, that um, in, in your pursuit for fame and glory in that path, I was on a very similar uh, trajectory and journey. Same thing. Looking back, it wasn't for the right reasons. And it's certainly something you said earlier on was that things only work when you're honest, when you're true to yourself. And, and that you uh, related that how, how, you know, kids and their BS meter, uh, and that allows you to just show up truthfully and authentically. I spent so many of my acting and film career uh, false, for lack of a better word, because I was looking and hoping for this external approval. Like nice. me, applaud me, it's think so I'm true. funny, think I'm clever, think I'm smart, think I'm attractive. And guess what? Nope, barely, barely had that impact. And then it's shallow and you, you, you go home and you end the day and you're just as miserable. <laughs> it doesn't last. Like anything that you get, it doesn't, it, it's gone as soon as you get it. So you're always constantly seeking the next thing, the next important gig, the next important show, the next important person, meeting, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's, it just, it's a constant, you're always seeking that. And it's, you're right. It's external. It's not, you're not ever, you're never going to achieve it. You're never going to get it because there's always going to be something else. So what happened in 2006 when you guys met? 
Well, I mean, we, we met and we kind of, we reiterated this a little earlier, just that we, we met one another and we liked each other. And it, it turns out that we have, you know, somewhat of a similar, our, our family lives are very different, but we have a similar story where we both come from divorced parents. So that was something we could bond over, like the feelings of like maybe abandonment or feelings of like, you know, sadness of not having your family there and how you learn to cope. And with me, music was the way that I coped with a lot of those feelings as a child. I took refuge in listening to music and reading stories, you know, reading books and kind of escaping into that world to try to escape from, you know, feeling sad that my dad wasn't around or that my mom was working all the time. And, you know, that that was a, kind of a similar experience I think we both had. And so we bonded over that early on. And I think for us both too, we were both extremely driven. So I don't think you ever, like maybe, I mean, at different times you have different levels of it, but I think we're both very passionate. And if you give us a project, we do it. Like, we're like, oh, we're going to do decorate for Halloween. We're going to be the best Halloween decorated house. Like we're, we're going to, um, we're going to do an event where we're going to pull out all, we're going to bring mats. We're going to bring carpets. We're going to bring a couch. We're going to like, Chris and I are intense. So like <laughs> we have the same drive. So I think that, and we're just constantly matching it. So it's like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's do that. And so with little rockers, whereas like when you were just focusing on like, oh, here's my headshot. Let's go to this audition. Let me look at the backstage. Let me see what's happening. Like that was like, it was having to have someone else help you figure out what to do with this. It's like, what's our next idea? Let's do it. And because I have a partner in crime who's willing to like do anything I want. <laughs> and the same with me and him, like him with me, like we constantly have new plans, new schemes, new dreams that involve little rockers. So it's always a challenge and we're always really excited yeah, by it. And certainly two and it started with 2006 and it has never stopped. Yeah, like, in 2006, we wrote some songs. We started like our little business. We Googled how to start an LLC and all that. We made our business. But then from there, after we got the classes going, like, what's the next thing? Oh, like we wrote these songs. Maybe we should put a band together so we can go perform them out in the world. So we put a band together, we learn the songs, we go start playing. At some point, we're like, oh, we should try to do these classes in other locations. So well, this is an interesting story, and this might be good for other people to learn from. When we started, we worked for another company, and then when we, broke, we, we quit, and then we started our classes, the other company found out about us and tried to sue us because we were in the area. So I had signed a non-disclosure, but Chris had not signed one. So through like, we learned a lot in that time because we had never worked with lawyers before. We had never gotten sued or anything before. So it was actually a really interesting experience, but we learned that Chris could keep doing classes in the area because he didn't sign anything, but I couldn't. So we were sad, but it actually, this is where a failure can be such a great opportunity for growth because it forced us, this person that tried to sue us actually helped us because it forced us to have to grow because we were teaching classes together and we came down with our little shtick and we had our program. We had done it for a little while. So we were polished and then we got sued and we're like, Oh no, I had to stay five miles away from her, from the other locations. So we just started more locations. So Chris, we hired a teacher to work with Chris. We hired someone to work with me. They got hands-on training with the person who knew how to do it. So there was always someone there that was capable to know how to do it. And then we just grew. So we weren't planning on growing and doing like all these locations, but it just happened organically because of a happy failure that someone tried to do. I, I adore that story for so many reasons because um, failure is not failure. You know, it's absolutely a part of success. There is always, always a positive upside to it. And you just spelled that out. Very valuable. 
Yeah, definitely. definitely. We've had a lot of little failures along the way, and those have been the best uh, teachers. They to say what we that, do. but you don't know it at the time. Like you hear this, you read that all the time. You're like, oh god, yeah. But you don't, really, you can't until you look back on it, and you're like, wow, that really did help us. So thank you for that. You know. And it's also what you're going to do in the moment because you didn't need time to look back on in your story example where you were sued and you had to. So so you just you saw it as a failure, but then you're like, okay, how are we going to respond to this? Right. It goes back to me saying earlier, like, we're never going to stop. Like, we're never going to give up. And it's never, it's, it's never an option to just be like, oh, they sued us. Okay. Let's just go home and pack up our stuff and we're done. Like, no, we fight back. We always are going to persevere and we're always going to, what, there's no other option. Like Chris and I are two artists that did not have a backup plan. As we said before, this is our backup plan. So we just keep going. How do you, are, are there other, so, so now like have, have the tables turned in essence, are there people now doing what you're doing and trying to infiltrate on your success? I mean, yes. there, it's a loaded question because I don't yes. really know the answer, but I can imagine that the answer is yes, because you guys are, I, I know you're very good at what you do. You're very successful at what you do. So with that, it gets attention and people are like, Oh, I could do that. I'm going to do that. So what's happening in your world? We've seen that? that for sure. I mean, it, Look, the life is <laughs> life is complicated because everybody borrows from everybody. So, like some things that we learned in one area that we worked in, we borrowed some ideas for our own, and then we, you know, tried to take some of what that was and create our own new product out of it. You know, but every time somebody, if if an idea is good, somebody's going to steal it, and that's you know that's a fact of life. So, an acting teacher, really quick, uh, just to uh, comment on that, an old acting teacher of mine told our class it's okay to steal just steal from the best <laughs> <laughs> hey then that's a compliment same thing about music so we borrowed <laughs> yeah. some ideas that we learned in our previous job applied them to a new way of doing it we kind of like took some of those ideas we created little rockers changed the model a little bit updated it for a more contemporary audience updated it for what works for us um, and then it started to take off and started to do well. And then sure enough, we, we saw other people in other places around us that were clearly influenced by what we were doing and changing their model and adding things to it and doing things differently based upon us because the word was starting to get out. And in a way, oh man, that's, it's really annoying and, and it like makes you angry, but it also kind of makes you step back and say, oh, then maybe we must be doing something right. Because if some, somebody is taking your ideas and trying to do it for themselves, then it must be an idea that's worth pursuing. And I think we've learned, because I'm such, I get very jealous. Well, I've learned to taper that a little bit, to just not even pay attention to what other people are doing. You know, like you need to know, be aware somewhat, but it like, just don't even look at or follow like what other people are doing. Because then it'll just like, that's what you'll focus on. You'll be so mad. You won't be just doing what you're supposed to do, your work. Yeah, you know? a big lesson that we've been learning and working on is to not compare yourself with anybody else. You can't possibly compare yourself with who anybody else that you see out there because everybody is on constantly on their own path to figure it out. And, you know, the more that you, the more time that you spend comparing yourself and thinking about what other people are doing is less time that you're concentrating on what you are doing. And absolutely nobody has it figured out. That's the other yeah. truth I'm learning. You might, you know, come on with social media, people position themselves in this perfect, like nobody, they're just as scared, just as miserable, just as lost as, as we all are. Absolutely. So you guys now have a, you have 
a location, right? A building, a classroom, if you will. Tell us about that. How did that come about? What an extraordinary feat, right? So yeah, totally. it really wasn't until we opened the school that we could re we felt that we were entrepreneurs. You know, we for the longest time we started Little Rockers and we thought, oh, you know, we're fooling everybody. We started a business, but we're really just like playing music and we're making money at it. You know, like somebody's gonna figure us out. They're gonna find out that we don't know what the heck we're doing. And then, but then for years while we were doing our Little Rockers classes, I you know I would start to dream and think, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had our own building that we can like decorate our own way and have people come to it and that's our clubhouse and you know that would be awesome and Jesse would say no 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 it's like there's too much overhead there's too much risk you know like it's gonna right because right now we sub well we'd still do it where we sub lease from dance studios or music schools so we only pay for the classes that we mm -hmm. need our so. overhead is very low we do classes and we don't pay a lot we come in and out of places and we do what we do but at some point I was like I want a place where we can actually like have our own branding and have our own place that's Ours. And I understood. I felt the same way, but I just had a lot of fear. And I'm just definitely, I guess you could tell, like I'm more by the book. I'm more logical in many ways. And Chris is more like risk taking. And that's why we make a good team also. But. So and finally, at some point we, we like, we figured out how to run the numbers and we realized that we were, we were plateauing in our business. Like we got to a certain point where we had a lot of classes running and a lot of people coming, but we couldn't grow beyond that because we didn't have access to a space in the afternoons or evenings or on the weekends because the places we were renting from have their own programs in there. So it no longer made sense to us to rent from somebody else. We needed our own space so that we can um, expand our programming and offer more, more classes and lessons and programs. So finally, we, we looked for about two years, pounded the pavement, tried to find the right location, the right space, the right landlord who would rent the space to us because nobody wanted to rent to us because we're music and they thought you know we don't want music in there it's going to be loud you're going to disturb the neighbors and you know just you know every possible and again no one understood what kind of music we yeah. are back to the beginning again where they're like what music for babies and we're like it's not that loud because they're babies how are you going to make money like, doing that you're not going to be able to pay your rent you know yeah the one things. guy didn't want to rent because yeah exactly he was like you're you're playing music for babies i know that you're going to default <laughs> on your rent like in the first two months yeah, clearly the one guy Right. Babies have no money. Babies yeah. are poor. Yeah. So, I mean, so that in itself. So then we got a fire under us where we were like, you know what? We're going to prove to people that we can do this. We're going to find the right spot. So we finally found a spot in Shrewsbury. We worked it out. And from there, we had to, oh man, we had to really like, figure out how to transform our business because now it wasn't just going to be about classes we had to figure out what what the other program was going to be like we have to offer music lessons we're going to offer birthday parties on the weekends we have to figure out how to fill up this space with programming that's going to be able to um, help us pay the bills and that actually pushed us to be more creative about the things that we were doing and offering. And beyond that, like we wanted to make it something that was unique, not like your typical school that you come into. We wanted it to be an extension of who we are, making people comfortable, making people feel welcome, making people want to stick around and hang out with us. They think it's cool. We, you know, they want, we wanted a cool environment and um, it took a lot of planning. Like, what is that going to look like? What, what can, what can we afford to do versus like, what do we want to do? What can we fit in the space? So, um, it, it, it all happened organically that too, where you're just like, okay, we need a cafe for the parents to sit in. Really? Um, you have yeah. that now. Wow. Yeah. And then we do, we have like the play area where it's a stage for the kids to perform on and, um, a slide and, you know, 
and it's a small space, but we managed to make it work with like the stuff that we have and all of the play, the, all the stuff in the play area are music or arts themes. So it's microphones and guitars and costumes and books are all art related. And it's just, it's, it's a cool environment. And yeah. are you guys the two wearing all the hats? You're doing the sales and marketing and performing and all of it? Well, luckily we have other teachers that we've trained to do our classes. Um, we have teachers that we have found that were doing our classes that are now our music teachers. So those teachers come in and they teach the private instrument lessons in the afternoon. And we're really becoming more of like the curators of the school. We still teach some classes. classes. And we also do like a lot of library shows and school shows. So Chris and I will go and we'll do performances for like a hundred kids at a school or at a library. Camps. We do, Chris and I will do specialized schools. Like we're in a lot of after schools. So we'll do, like we have our teachers doing the program that we started, all the teachers can teach. And then all this other stuff is specialized programs that Chris and I will go out and do. Um, Enrichment programs for after school, um, after school programs at other schools. And now that we have the school, we, we both develop these um, classes for the older kids. So the Little Rockers program that you're familiar with from the parties and the classes you've taken, we realized also that our business was plateauing because once the kids turn four or five and they go to school, they are gone and, and we lose them. Wow. So the only way that we can hold on to them, be able to continue them on um, their musical path is to have a place where they can come. So now as the kids are turning five, six, seven, we have new classes that we've developed where they can come and take a group piano class or a group guitar class or a group rock band class where I teach the kids how to play all or the acting. different- acting, I'm doing an now, acting class. Now Jesse, using yeah. her musical theater background does introduction to performing arts and introduction to acting. So these are all like programs that are within the, the music and arts sphere but now we can target kids that are from five to ten years old and then if they graduate out of those classes they can take a private piano class or a private piano or drum lesson or a private guitar lesson and we have other teachers that are um, very skilled in working with young kids that will teach those classes what about when the kid turns 44 what can you do <laughs> well we do have a dad actually that takes i have a mom lesson. and a, a a mom and a son that just started taking a co-guitar class together wait you teach adults sure yeah we have a dad we have one dad and we have one mom that takes and another mom that just joined. So basically we say, you know, it, it's, it, it ends when you're a tween, but then invariably those, you know, those kids are going to grow up. Or what we find is that there are parents that now they have young children that are getting old enough to start to take music lessons. This really touched me the other day because I talked to a mom who called and said, you know, I used to play guitar in high school and in college. And then I started my career and I put the guitar down and you know, I haven't played in many, many years. But now that my son's coming up, he's like, he's got a little toy guitar that he plays and he wants to take lessons. And so I wanted him to, to come to your school and take lessons because I heard about you guys. But actually, I really want to take lessons too because it's something that I used to love to do and I don't do it anymore. I said, absolutely. Our teachers are amazing because they're so patient. They work with kids. We're accustomed to that. And now she, we're, I encouraged her to come and take a co-lesson with her son. And so now she comes every week and they're both learning again. She's learning again, and he's learning for the first time how to play chords. And she's like, I want a way that I can communicate with him. I don't play video games. You know, I don't play Fortnite. I don't do all of these things. But he likes music. And if I can connect That's with so him cool. and communicate with him by playing the guitar, I feel like I have a closer relationship with him. So That's you're doing me. a parent-child one-on-one-on-one, two-on-one class. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. Oh, you know, that's so amazing because recently uh, my wife and I were having a conversation and I, I don't know how it came up that like another five-year-old friend of my daughter's, I think is taking some music lesson. And we were talking about getting her music lessons. And I said, I said, I said, you know what would be, I, I said, I would love to take a class with her. You definitely can. You that's should. It's possible. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Like we're trying to, we're trying to unite families through the idea of music. And, you know, it's, it's you not, know, and I it's think an area that hasn't really been, um, has been broached, but I think is something that is a necessary and it really just comes down to having the right people that can identify with kids and with parents and be able to kind of put all of that together. And I just had a little epiphany bringing it back to our childhoods that I think that is something that we both definitely had growing up that our parents did bond with us through music. Like, you know, my mom was a singer. We always worked on music together. We performed together, you know, and your dad always his parents were divorced, but his dad would pick him up every Friday and they would go to PNC. Was it PNC? Well, it was the Garden State Arts Center. Yes, the Garden State Arts Center. Like whatever, show, whatever band was playing that uh, night. Your dad's coming to pick you up. It's Friday night. My dad gets off of work at five. He comes to pick, pick me up for the weekend to take him to, to spend visiting hours. And we'd be driving down the parkway and he'd go, oh, look, Don Henley's playing. And we would just like pull off and he would buy lawn seats and we would go sit and watch a concert together, father and son. Right, and so those are amazing also, memories. Yeah, like wow. you have that experience and I have that experience. So maybe that's part of the reason why we want to cultivate that experience for other people. I, re I realize that, you know, this is interesting, bringing it back to what we said before, trying to escape the pain and loneliness of like, being having divorced parents and just being a child but the times that I've had the most pleasant memories are singing in the car with my mom going to the concerts with my dad that's right. when I really connected with them and I never really thought about it in that way before but that probably is the genesis of why I I feel like it's my purpose to create experiences between parents and children to bond and create memories that they're going to carry with them that's so so amazing to hear like I said, I, I never was exposed to music. Didn't even know until I was a young adult that, you know, it was a thing that people valued and listened to. So wow. now as an adult, like I said, I embrace it. I adore it. I love it to the point that when my, when my first child was born from that minute, I, I remember saying, I have to expose her to as much music as possible. And I remember having Danica on my lap as, as, as a young infant baby just just playing various genres i'm like there's no wrong genre here no. just, just, just open it up forget the nursery rhyme she'll hear mo most of that i'm like Definitely. here's some here's some cool music everything yeah, from exactly. classical to you know the bangles you know pop yeah. whatever there's no wrong answer here no. No wrong answer. in your head well gangster you know. rap maybe is not the most appropriate for a baby but <laughs> give them time good that. point <laughs> right I, I i made a blanket statement there's no inappropriate <laughs> yes. now i'm going to be getting phone calls well there is i, I hope you didn't what bringing it all together for each of you what mantra do you live by today? I know. You do? Well, since I, when I was a kid, my favorite book was The Little Engine That Could. <laughs> and I think about it all the time. Like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Mm. Honestly, that does just, it'll never escape me. That sounds cheesy maybe, but it's the truth. Do you have so a mantra? So are you like, are, are you the type A in the group here? Because it seems like you guys balance each other. Is that a true statement? 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It does make us butt heads, but I think since we've had so much time together, we've learned to adapt and grow and learn from each other. So mm. I think he, he benefits from my type A. <laughs> I definitely have learned to be more organized in my, in my thoughts and in my daily practices. But, um, you know, I, I like the one that is don't wish for it, work for it. So like I've spent a lot of my life just wishing and hoping and dreaming and, Oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. And really I did, you know, we didn't, we didn't achieve or accomplish what we have until we really just started working, doing the work every day, waking up, um, putting some effort towards what you're doing because, you know, living your dreams, living in your dreams, you're just going to be sleeping your whole life. But if you're actually working, then you're being productive and that's how you're going to accomplish what your desires are. I love it. And it's sort of the difference between a dream and a goal, right? That's what they say. That's Absolutely. Yeah. You got to put action to it. You know, so we, to be accountable to one another, I think really pushes us. We're both, we're, I discovered, you know, when we started our business and we started our relationship, I didn't know I was an ambitious person. I just, you know, I just played music and I just wanted, I always worked very hard and no matter what job, um, if you looked at any, at anything that I did in that time, I always put my all and my effort into it and realized that um, it's important to me to do good work, to do a good job, to, to make the thing perfect, whatever it is. But I just didn't have enough ambition to think that I could do that and create a career or a life out of it. And then Jesse helped to kind of make that a reality for us. You know, we pushed each other to make this business and every day we pushed ourselves, you know, did you accomplish the things that are on your list for today? Like, what do we have to accomplish for today? Um, what projects are we working on this week? What do we need to finish by the end of this week, by the end of this month, by the end of this year to get to the point where we feel like we're, we're completing everything that we set out to do and we're accountable to one another and we're honest with one another and that's how it works. Yeah, for sure. And you're married, which just adds the whole other layer to it. It's just unbelievable that you're going strong. Yeah. Oh God. I think it's good in a way we don't have kids because I don't know how we would juggle. I commend anyone that can juggle having children, period, <laughs> but also having children and a business, you know, or a career or both. Like I don't know how we would do it. <laughs> I just don't. You guess you, you're going to, you figure it out. But you know, at this point it's enough for us to, to try to grow our business, to grow our career. And we, we've always, we say this in our private moments where we're laughing, we're like, we're going to build an empire, but you know, an em building an empire really is like making one thing happen each day until you look back and you're like, Oh, we created all of these things. And Hopefully we want to create something that will be, you know, a legacy that we can leave behind that will hopefully have made people happy. We'll have enriched um, our culture and society. I feel like our purpose on this earth as humans is to somehow, you know, make, make a place to where when you leave, you left the world a better place than when you came. And I think we can pretty safely say that we're, we're working hard at making that happen. Yeah. Mm. I got the chills. Beautiful. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? I do. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's the yin and yang of life, isn't it? You know, um, <laughs> How are we even together? I don't know. That's what's called balance. That's my work. That's Go ahead. So you believe you don't? You know, I. Oh God, this is a long. I mean, this is. Hour. Yeah, I mean, I hope you're going to edit this for uh, <laughs> for clarity and focus. But geez, 
Um, you know, there, there's not a reason for anything until you create meaning in your life. I don't know that there's like some, some grand uh, plan for us, but um, I really can honestly say that when I met Jesse, I realized what my life was about. I realized what the purpose of my life was about. And now the reason for it is to make her proud, um, mm -hmm. to nice. make sure that I take care of us, our family, whatever that is, whether it be the two of us, our dogs, our cats, kids, whomever, our extended family. Like I want to want to make everybody around me proud. And I want people to be able to say that um, we did something that was uh, that had value in our world. And as crazy as the world is today and has become, if we can be a little light for people and give some happiness to people and, and give people some, um, some um, respite, I guess, from all of the bad thoughts and all the crazy stuff that's happening in the world, then we did our job. You know, we sing our silly little songs and, you know, our, our work is really not that important. You know, we sing la 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 and, you know, it doesn't, it's not curing cancer. No, it's not yeah. rocket science or anything, but, um, you know, on the other hand, it is important to make people happy. And I think right. we do that on a daily basis. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? I, I, we're both very spiritual. We're not religious, but. Um, this is a work in progress. I've been learning about this lately. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I don't know. I always grew up with a lot of spirituality in my family. I guess when you have artistic people and, and, um, my family, my mom was like Catholic and was very against the Catholic church and like sprouted out into her own beliefs. And it's just very, um, unique and, um, special in the way that she taught us. So I don't, I think there is something more out there. I don't think you, I think it's within you. And, um, and I think I, we try to practice that every day. We definitely do. Yeah. We come from broken homes, you know, and so we weren't really raised with the, um, like that, tra any tradition, the habits of going to church or temple or whatever week to week. So it just never became a part of our adult experience. Um, but to say that there's not, you know, there's not something that we think about, you know, I have learned that your religion is kind of the, the values that make up who you are and how you live each day. And whether that means you're going to a church and you subscribe to a specific religion or whether it means, you know, you have a set of values where, um, each day you make sure that you're doing the right thing and that you're uh, to be accountable to each other in our relationship is kind of like a religion because there's rules that we set up and we follow them. And we know that if we, we do those things correctly, we'll be happy and successful. And so spirituality is, is whatever you make of it at this point, but um, there is something deeper and stronger that guy and we us. definitely yeah absolutely i think we're we're very in touch with that and we're we meditate and we're we write a lot i journal every day we gratitude journal we have vision boards. i mean if you turn around and looked at the house and the, i mean we 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 feng shui the house like we do all these things to try to empower ourselves so i mean i think like i have affirmation cards all over the house in different areas that are like we are empowered we are this we're doing you know all these great things it's just to so that to me is spirituality. That to me is personal growth and trying to just enhance your life and make yourself more positive, you know? And if that, that's what that does for me, I don't know if religion does that for other people, but. I'm a naturally skeptical person, but I'm also, um, I'm a person that looks around and sees that there is order to the universe and to the world. And so um, I don't know 
who or what started that or if anything did, but um, you're not a cynic, not a cynic necessarily, but I'm always um, interested in learning more and more. Yeah. What do you believe happens when it's all over? When our time here on earth comes to an end? I, I believe strongly in reincarnation. And that was something that my mom always taught us as children. And I just always stuck with me. So I feel like you're here to learn. And I guess that's why I feel like education is really important. Maybe this is all dawning on me, but you're here to learn. You're here to better yourself. You're here to like iron out the kinks and then move on. And then you grow again and you, you form into a new body, a new existence. And then you're ironing out those kinks and the things that from the past you're bringing to this to iron out. So I just, I know you don't believe that, but that's something that I believe in. (laughs) It's very sweet. It's don't say that it's sweet. It's it's how I feel. That sounds really demeaning. But it's it that's just I mean that's what keeps me going. That that's just how I feel. Right. How do you feel? I don't know. There's just no evidence as to what happens when you go. So I just know that I have to do my best while I'm here so that what you know, if you think about everybody that's come and done great things and they're now gone, we don't know if, you know, if they're still around watching out. Is Steve Jobs looking down over us? Is John Lennon watching our every move? Who knows? But we have the, the fruits of their labor and their lives and their legacy lives on, you know, and their worldview and, and what they have given to the world right. is it's all I have here. to go on. So when I'm gone, I don't know that I have any... Um, effect on what is left behind except for what I'm doing every day bringing my music and bringing my my you know my passion you're here for now you're not really thinking about yeah I mean nobody has yet contacted us to say like this is what happens when you die so (laughs) there's not one of the seven billion people here that has any inside information so I can only do what I can do today (laughs) I love that do my best (laughs) and leave something behind that's worthwhile I hope you are I love you guys so much. I'm going to leave you with this final question. Chris and Jesse Apple, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, Oh, that, God. We have another hour? No. Um, I, as a a couple, I think I'd like us to just be remembered as two people that made other people happy and that we were just nice, good people. You know, I know we have our bad sides. <laughs> I don't want other people to see that ever. <laughs> I want people to just think of us and remember us as something that made their children happy, that like they have good memories of us. And people tell me this all the time. I'm getting teary about it because they say, oh, I remember when my kids were little and I have such fond memories of that time with them. So that that's what I want them to remember. That's like, the best you can really say, you know, I think you can't overthink these things and it's impossible to say, you know, that people are going to remember what they want to remember about you. But if you're helping to create positive memories in people and that's how you're remembered. Yeah. I mean, you said it great. We would like to be remembered as people that cared a lot and, you know, tried to bring some happiness and positivity to the world that we lived in. Mm. Well, you guys are certainly on that route. Um, I, I've realized in preparing for this session with you guys that I haven't run into you guys in person uh, in a while. And uh, like you were saying, you, you sort of look back and I remember those, th- there were so many moments and weeks and months where I would see you guys often and regularly. 
And, um, and now, you know, life moves on, the kids get older, things happen, and uh, we just do our best in and out of the moment. I want to thank you guys so much for spending this time, for opening up, for being you and doing you. I didn't lie at the top of the show. I adore and admire and appreciate what you guys do and who you guys are. I obviously never got to know you guys like this, but it's a gift and an honor. So thank you. Thank for you. That goes thank you. right back at you, brother. Really proud of everything that you're working on and what you're doing and you're putting something great out there in the world by helping other people share their stories with each other. And yeah, and you're so positive and uplifting about it's really it. really so great. Thank you for having us. Doing. Absolutely. We're going to link to all the uh, you know, relevant contact information. If you want to get in touch with them, if you want to hear their music, highly recommend it. It's extraordinary. So again, thank you guys. Thank you everybody Wait, for I tuning. I have one final question. Sure, ma'am. After all of that, are we now unhidden entrepreneurs? <laughs> I love it. That's like the sequel. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. We're not you've, hidden any longer. Thank you. You've been adorned. Exposing yeah. us. <laughs> you know, you're helping me through the brand. I like it. It's something to consider. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Thank you guys. Thank you everybody for tuning in. I hope you found some, some value out of it and you're inspired to do something. If you are, don't keep it to yourself. Get it out into the world. Make and do one small thing, take one small step, because that's, as you know, how you make anything happen. We're gonna make something like this happen again until we do. Thanks for tuning in. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.